two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 2. If you were here, you might remember we read that great hymn of Jesus' self-emptying. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. And I didn't expand on that part of the reading very much, taking a bit of a different direction, which is a bit of a shame in a way, because it is an incredibly powerful description of this journey that Jesus takes as described by the gospel. From equality with God, descending to human form, to the form of a servant, to death, even to the most humiliating of deaths. And then ascending, raised in the resurrection and the ascension, and then finally, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name above all. All other names. It's this story of the descent of Jesus and then his return whence he came. And last Sunday in the evening, Stuart preached on that passage and this one, drawing them together, talking about the way that Jesus' journey of self emptying and being raised up again, lifted up by God, is echoed in Paul's description here of his own journey. That he starts with many reasons to boast as recognised in his community, but he sets them aside for a life of suffering. And even as he wrote, he presumably knew he was quite close to facing death. And looking forward to the other side, to being raised up by God. Stuart drew our attention last Sunday evening to the echo between these two narratives, the path of Jesus and the path of Jesus' followers. And I wanted to mention that because I think it helps us as we dig into this passage, especially when we read Paul writing that he wants to know Christ and the sharing of his sufferings, Becoming like him in death. Paul writing that he wants to join in sharing Christ's sufferings are quite disturbing words. If you take them at face value. But you put them into the context of this narrative. Of Paul's journey mirroring that of Jesus. And they make a lot more sense. Paul has suffered he suffered a great deal as a follower of Jesus from his commitment to the gospel. When he writes he wants to know the sharing in Christ's suffering, I don't think we're seeing a desire to suffer so much as a desire to see his sufferings as a parallel, a sharing in the suffering of Jesus, in the story of Jesus. I want to focus a little bit more today on that end, the rising back up that Paul is looking forward to. The goal, the end point, the prize, which he sets everything else aside in order to press 
ahead to press on for? What is it that he sees at the end of his road? What is his parallel to Jesus being exalted as the name above all names? And how does he expect to get there? I think we need to start with what Paul's goal isn't. What he considers of so little value that he can even describe it as a loss compared to this goal. For Paul begins, as we might say in the sociological language of today, Paul begins from a place of privilege, great privilege. Those markers of status that he had, that set him in the eyes of his culture, his context, set him above many others. Even though many of them were simply matters of chance. He's a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born a Jew, a member of God's people from his first day, and more, circumcised, he says, on the eighth day. I think he's telling us two things when he says that. The first, that he came from a family which was observant, which followed the law, The second, that he also had the privilege, greater in that day, but still quite significant today, of being male. All of that, he did nothing to earn. In his culture, his context, Paul was born with the proverbial silver spoon. More so. If you remember from his story in the book of Acts that he was also born a citizen of Rome. It's not a criticism to say he was born with all that and that he didn't deserve it. Any more than it's a criticism to say that Jesus was a very nature God. It's just a truth. It's where he began. And then there are things which he, at least to some extent, might claim some credit for. As to the law, he says, a Pharisee, one of those diligent learners and observers of the law of Moses. His zeal for God illustrated in his persecution of the church. And as to righteousness, he says, blameless. might need to pause there just a moment. For this, of course, is the same Paul who wrote, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't think Paul is saying here that he was perfect. That would be so inconsistent with everything else he writes. But I think he's recognising that under the law, In the eyes of his culture, in the eyes of his world, in the eyes of the legal system, the rules that he as a fallacy was so diligent in keeping, he was without blame. No one could point to him and point to something in the law and say, you didn't do that. No charge could be levelled against him and sustained. And he had all of this. 
Partly by chance, partly by choice, partly by effort. That sets him up for what he goes on to call a righteousness of my own that comes by the law. According to the understanding of his day, he was set for that. He could live the law of God. He could live as a member of the people of God. He could have, he could achieve that righteousness. There were no limits to where he could go what he could become within his society. The ancient world was Paul's oyster. He could aim for and reasonably expect to get pretty much anything he wanted. And clearly there was some goal in his mind of righteous service to God. His zeal in persecuting those who, as he saw it, were blasphemers against God, the early church. He was passionately committed to using all that God had given him in the service of God. That righteousness was his for the taking. And that's what he wanted. But now, something has changed. As he might say, as Adina Menzel sang in Wicked, which I'm ever so glad to see back in Sydney, I don't want it. No, I can't want it anymore. What Paul wants changed. That moment on the road when he encountered the risen Christ. What he wants now is not a righteousness by the law, not success by the standards of his people. What he wants is a different sort of righteousness, one that is from God, one that is based on faith. You see what's happened here? His goal is no longer something that he can achieve. It's no longer something that is accessible to him by the chance of his birth or by working hard or by being a lot smarter or a self-starter, since I'm quoting musicals today. The goal he's pressing for now is a gift. So how does that make any sense at all? How do you work towards or for a gift? How do you press on towards something that comes entirely by grace, the free grace of God, something that is given? There's a tension here, a mystery even perhaps. Paul mentioned it in passing back in chapter 2 when he wrote, Words I really appreciate. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work. Work because God is the one working. Press on to take what has already been given. Which is it? A gift of grace Or something to work towards? Is it us at work or is it God at work? 
if I might move from musicals to memes, why not both? Because I think Paul gives us a piece of the answer to that mystery. Of course, being a mystery, answering it will only ever open up other questions. That's the nature of a mystery. That's why they're so much fun. But at least a piece, a signpost, perhaps. When he names the prize that he is pressing towards at the end of our reading from today. It wasn't salvation. Surely that is part of the gift, but that wasn't what he describes that he was pressing towards. And it wasn't righteousness either, though he names that several times. It isn't the thing he's pushing towards, either his own righteousness that he had once been driven to achieve or the righteousness that he now has by God's gift. What was the goal he was pressing on towards? The prize? He named it in those final words. The call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul isn't working, striving, pressing on to be saved, to get into heaven, to be forgiven. He's got that. That's grace. That's been given. There's no work to be done. No striving required. Paul isn't working, pressing on to be righteous. Either in the eyes of the world, clearly he's going in exactly the wrong direction for that. Or in the eyes of God, for his righteousness is by faith. He is right in the eyes of God because he trusts in Jesus and what Jesus has done, living and dying and rising for him. He's righteous in the eyes of God and no other righteousness matters to him. But he's still pressing on towards a prize, the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And as is so often the case, that's a bit ambiguous and that's great. Is he pressing on because he's been called and he is pressing on to do the thing that he's been called to? Or is he pressing on towards a call? Seeking a call, like Peter in the boat, if you remember from earlier this year sometime, when Peter says, if it's you, call me to come to you, asking for the call. Is Paul pressing on with what he already knows, with what God has already called him to, or is he pressing on to know another call, to know more clearly the call of God? Or why not both? But whichever or whatever mixture of those two it was for Paul, the question is what mixture of those two it is for us 
and what that means for us. What it means for us to count as nothing the privileges of our birth and our status, unearned or earned. To not strive for the recognition in the eyes of the world that is so tempting and for Paul was so available, but to count that as nothing. For Paul is no longer concerned about advancement, status, glory in the world. None of that matters. It's all even a loss, he says. He's concerned to do the things God has called him to do. His prize is the call of God. And he's concerned to hear the things that God yet has him to do. His prize is the call of God. Paul is consumed by this desire to do what God called him for and to know what God will yet call him for. That's the challenge as we read these words. To know and to value above all else what it is that God has called us to. What part of the work of God, the mission that Jesus brought, what part of that have we been called to play? And what part of that might we yet be called to play? Wherever we are in life at the moment, can we press ahead, forgetting what lay behind, as Paul says in those completely impossible words, but pressing ahead to the future? of our present call and the present of our future call. That's the prize Paul sought. That's the prize which goes beyond even the gift we have received. Amen.